Well, good morning. It is great to be with you all. It's been quite some time. So I'm just going to give a quick update since uh, y'all, a lot of y'all have just graciously asked how we're doing and even been aware of uh, us going through the tornado in Jonesboro this spring and our house and repairs and things like that, but it has been an entertaining last six months. Um, well, seven, seven and a half months because we have a seven and a half month old baby as well. So um, thank you all so much for letting me be here. It's an honor. Thanks for the introduction, Howard and Brad. Uh, for giving me the invitation. But yes, my name is Austin Brash. My wife, Kristen, and son, John, are in Jonesboro. We figured out this summer while visiting family that having a seven, seven and a half month old in the car for anything over like 10 minutes is horrible. So we we're saving her the headache because she has work this week um, from taking care of him all day, and she's going to go to church in Jonesboro. But we are uh, at RUF at Arkansas State. I am planting that work there at Arkansas State alongside many's, many people's prayers like y'all's and support and the, the backing of our presbytery and also the organization like RUF. So we're thankful to join in this work with y'all and that y'all allow me to be on campus uh, reaching students and equipping them for the gospel. Uh, this past year was great. Uh, just meeting the students, getting used to the demographic of Jonesboro and Arkansas State, finding out all the particulars of students at Arkansas State and all their weird things and all the great things that are involved with that. But the Lord was faithful, as he always is, and gathered a group of students that were really excited about ministry. And things were going great. We were growing. We had a large group going. They were receiving the word. We, we had students that uh, I wouldn't even straight to say were, were converted through the ministry. And then the coronavirus hit. And then it was like, wait, is this even a thing anymore? And for the last four months, I've been wondering, do we have students do they, do they want to talk to me? Do they want to be a part of what we're doing? Uh, so I spent a lot, of, a lot of the summer repairing our house in prayer, talking with students one-on-one, -on -one, and uh, they've started to trickle back into campus, and we're realizing that though I might have not had a, a touch on them this summer in person-to-person -person contact, that the Lord uh, is the one that does the work. He's the one that matures his field and his harvest, and all we do is reap. And our students are coming back excited for RUF, excited for ministry. We even had, the school doesn't start for two weeks. Anyway, we had 10 students over in our backyard, socially distanced this week, two new students uh, that a, fr a friend uh, brought. And we were just really excited to see that, okay, we're here for a reason, and the Lord's doing something here. So we're encouraged. So thank you all so much for allowing us to be there. Um, a few weeks ago, I sent out a form to our students and one of the questions I asked on the forum, just to kind of get a, a gauge where they, at, where they were at preparing for this semester, I asked, in three words, describe what you're feeling about this upcoming fall. And as an exercise, before we jump into God's word today, I want to ask you all the same question. Describe in three words what you all are feeling for the fall. If you all are honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, I know that one of my words is fear. I don't know if I've lived through a more tumultuous time, at least that's out of my control. Uh, sure, I've made a mess of my life and had to live with the consequences of that, but everything seems so uncontrollable right now, and I'm just having to take it all in. The pandemic keeps spreading. I don't know what our economy is going to look like. Uh, division politically, racially, it just seems to be growing, and I don't know what world we will be living in when it comes 
to the end of the fall. And that makes me fearful. And I'm sure it makes some of you fearful as well. I want to read us, uh, I, want to, I want to teach from, from Romans 8, 31 through 39, because this has been a text that I've had to return to in the midst of my fears and fragility in this moment. And I think it can be an encouragement for not only me, but all of God's church today. This was a text that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was writing in the midst of a church that was starting to feel that fear was growing. The Emperor Nero, who despised Christians, had just taken office. The church itself was dividing between Jews and Gentiles, and all of these things seemed like they were going to overtake the church. And there was a palpable sense of fear in Rome. And Paul writes these words to encourage them that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that which that gives us the resources to move from fear to actually flourishing. It doesn't change our circumstances, but it gives us the ability to flourish in the midst of all sorts of circumstances. And our circumstances are no doubt different than those who were in Rome, but our encouragement is the same. We're committed, and God's word always brings us back to the gospel as the balm to our fearful souls, the gospel as the thing that drives us from fear into flourishing and the strength, not of ourselves, but in Christ Jesus. So if you would, join with me as I read along in Romans 8, 31 through 39. I'll read it for us. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'll pray for us. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, your people, be pleasing to you, our strength and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus, amen. 1 John 4, verse 18 is one of my favorite verses. It says that there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. What this verse shows us is that biblically, love and fear are opposites. To have fear cast out of our souls, we must contemplate how much we are loved. We don't need to know that everything's gonna be okay. We don't need to know that our circumstances are gonna change. We just need to contemplate the reality that we're loved. And what Paul is saying is the same exact thing. He's talking to a fearful church in Rome. God is talking through his word to us today who are fearful. And he's saying, do you know the degree to which you're loved? That's his answer for our fears. 
And if you know the degree to which you're loved, don't fear. This passage shows us two of the ways in which Christ lavishly loves us in the gospel and casts out all the fears, or some of the fears at least, that we've been dealing with during this time. We're going to look at this in two points. The first point is, in Christ we belong. And the second point is, in Christ we're safe. So let's look at the first point. In Christ we belong. We see this in verse 31 through 34, if you want to look at your text with me. I don't know if any of y'all got to see a fireworks display this 4th of July, but Kristen, my wife, and I luckily just kind of stumbled upon one. And everybody that's seen a good fireworks display, at least, not the ones like in your front yard, uh, like a legit fireworks display, knows that everything is kind of heading towards the end. Everything's heading towards the grand finale. That's when you really get your money's worth. And this is kind of Paul's grand finale of the book of Romans, at least all the way to chapter 8. And we see this through the way he stacks all these rhetorical questions. He has seven rhetorical questions in the verses spanning from 31 to 35. That's seven rhetorical questions he asks in the span of five verses. Now, if you know the book of Romans, or if you want to go back and read it during your spare time this week, Paul has been asking a lot of rhetorical questions the whole time throughout the book of Romans, and he does this as a way to build his argument. He'll ask a question and then answer it, ask a question and answer it, but never has he asked this many in such a concise manner. And what he's doing is he's saying, this is the finale. I've been asking some questions, I've been giving you answers, but I want you to pay special attention here, because this is the finale. This is what it's all been leading towards. And he kind of leads us towards his finale by asking that first question. He says, what shall we say to these things? And that seems very general for us who just dove into this text today. But what Paul is saying is these things, is he's talking about, most commentators and I agree, he's saying these things are all of the book of Romans that preceded it. Romans chapter 1, all the way through chapter 8. And if you know at all about the book of Romans, or if you're curious about it, what you'll find if you read it is that Romans reveals God's righteous character, his unencumbered holiness, his otherness, and it reveals man and woman's condition and sin, our corruptedness, our unfaithfulness to God's righteous law. It reveals our guilty verdict before him, how we stand as sinners condemned to a just God who will execute his wrath, but it also reveals to us the other side of the gospel, which is God's grace for sinners through the mercy and forgiveness and atoning work of Jesus. Justification by faith alone, not of any work of our own, and even the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is all of Romans 1 through 8. And Paul is saying, now here in this verse, in verse 31, how do we react to that? That was a lot to take in. What are my, what are my couple takeaways? How does this change things? And the first thing he wants us to know is that in Christ, we belong. That's what God's love in Christ does for us. We belong. We're no longer, we no longer have to question our status in the family of God. The four questions after that original question in verse 31 show us this. We're just going to run right through them. Look at that second question in verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? This speaks to the reality that we're no longer competitors with God. He's not against us. We're not subject to his wrath. He's for us. If you ever want to tell somebody, what does the gospel mean? 
in four words, God is for us. Next question, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? We not only are not competing with God anymore, we also are privileged with God. We're not just the reject or the the last pick on the team. He actually showers us with his privilege of being his son and daughter. The next two questions in verse 33 and 34, who shall bring any charge and who is to condemn? That speaks to judgment. Someone who doesn't know they belong is always worried about judgment. If I don't know I belong to my friend group, I'm always insecure when I tell a joke. Wait, did, did they think that was funny? Are they sure? I don't know. But Paul is saying we don't have to question our status. We're not subject to judgment anymore. We belong We don't have to live in this fearful condition trying to question whether or not we're included. And the reason we need to know this and the reason we need to contemplate this and the reason we need to really dwell on this reality that we belong in the love of Christ is because it is our heart's desire, consciously and subconsciously, to seek belonging anywhere and everywhere. We're all looking for a place to find love, affection, belonging, membership. I watched the show The Office. Michael Scott, the boss of The Office, he has a quote that says, Do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like this compulsive need to be liked, like my need to be praised. That is the cry of all of our souls. We have to be liked. We have to be praised. And we're looking for anyone and everyone, anywhere and everywhere to find that, to have that fear that we don't belong cast out of our soul. On the other hand, in our sin nature, what, this, what God's word reveals to us is that we don't know where to find belonging. And we know we don't belong. That deep inside, we're hiding ourselves in order to belong to other people and to other groups and even trying to belong to God. The biblical story, not the office, tells this the best. Genesis 2, we see Adam and Eve were created. They were not created as individual uh, kind of people on their own to just kind of do their own thing. No, they were created in relationship with God. They were created to belong to him in communion and in communion in such a way that it was without shame. Genesis 2, 25 it says they were with God in the garden and they were naked and unashamed. Our human desire, the longing of our soul, our created purpose is to belong to God and to one another in such a way that we're so united that we have no shame and we fear no isolation or judgment. But we know in the biblical story and in our stories too that sin came into the story. That Adam and Eve opted not for communion with God but for competition. And as a result... Fear came into the story, isolation, judgment, and shame, and judgment. And we see right after that their desire, their created desire, the image of God implanted in them, doesn't extinguish when sin comes into the world. They still want to belong. They still have that unquenchable desire, yet they don't know how to do it. They have this foolish attempt in Genesis 3 to cover themselves up with fig leaves, in order to belong to each other. And I think this is not only their story, but this is our story. And in this moment in time where the world seems 
like it's in total chaos, in utter despair. I think we feel this most intimately. And that's why I love, and I'm starting to come around to the fact, I, I wasn't there at first, but I'm starting to come around to the fact that this time that we're in right now is actually a blessing. And it's a blessing because this time has been a time of exposure for all of us. It's exposed us to the reality that we were all trying to belong in ways that couldn't fulfill our longings. Just think about it. This virus and social isolation has stripped us of normal conditions around us. Students, you can't be around your friends anymore. At schools, you'll even have to socially distance. Sports teams took a, took a break for a while. That's often where we try to find belonging and affirmation and affection and love. And right now, you've been stripped of that and ex- ex- exposed in y'all some insecurity. Adults, we're no different. We don't have workplaces to go to. Our churches are even, we're wearing masks and socially distanced. We don't have those communities that we often try to find belonging in. Our neighborhoods aren't gathering around anymore. And the more and more I talk to people, and including talk to my own soul, not only has fear gripped me, but insecurity has, because the normal conditions in which I often find belonging have been stripped. And I've been exposed to the reality that I was really comfortable with finding belonging in places other than Christ. And I say this is a blessing because God exposing the idols in our heart, the ways in which we try to find joy and fulfillment outside of himself is his severe mercy. He exposes us in order to restore us. He reveals to us our sin in order to draw us back to his grace. And right now, as we have been exposed that we often seek belonging outside of him, he is standing, waiting, reminding us of his truth, even in the word today, that we can find belonging not through our own means, but we find belonging in the God who came to us. The God who came to us and took on our shame. The God who came to us and took on our sin. The God who came to us, whose atonement, his blood, covers us up in way more beautiful ways than we could ever cover up our own sin and shame. In Christ. You belong not because you proved yourself or you found belonging for yourself, but because he found us. We don't have to be fearful that the conditions won't ever return to the same, so I won't know who I am until things are normal again. We can be rooted and grounded in the reality that Christ is for us even despite the conditions that are right now, that we belong and that we can be moved from fear into flourishing. The next reality that we find about God's love in this passage is in verse 35 through 39 that Paul wants us to contemplate that in Christ we are safe. Paul starts verse 35 by saying, who shall separate us from the love of God? And then he ends verse 39 by saying, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see that those two words, separation, one in 35, the other in 39? Those are bookends, and they're telling us that Paul's making one big point here. He's saying that you won't be separated from the love of Christ Jesus despite the circumstances. That means that we're safe. That means that we won't be orphaned, left alone, hung out to dry, or abandoned. In Christ, you are safe. You won't be separated. You can bank on it. 
And just like our desire to belong, we are also wired spiritually and even physically with a desire to be safe. I mentioned I had a seven and a half month old son. This is our our first child in our family. And when we had our child, the nurses emphasized to us uh, skin to skin contact with the baby. So like the baby needs to sit on my chest. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. I think that's just like, you're just letting us do that because it's cute. And you know, we always wanna cuddle with our baby. So that's great. But as we looked into the benefits of this, I was actually pretty astonished at how many benefits there are to skin to skin contact with your baby. I'll read just a few of them. It improves their body heat. It increases their appetite. It helps stabilize the baby's breathing and heartbeat. It allows the baby to be safe to open their eyes and to focus. It gives the baby the ability to fall into a much deeper sleep than when they're isolated in their cribs. And it even starts to trigger their emotional health. Those benefits are astonishing to me. And what's behind all those benefits is that the baby is able to flourish because they know they're safe. They know they're in the arms of the one whom they're supposed to be in the arms of. And they're safe and they can flourish. And this is what Paul is getting at with the gospel. That in Christ, we are safe. We're in the arms of the one whom we were created to be in the arms of. We're held by the one whom our soul longs to be held for, and we don't have to fear that we will be let go. Jesus says in John 10, nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Paul emphasizes this point in a strange way at the end of verse 35 all the way into verse 36 by bringing up various forms of Christian suffering to kind of drive his point home that we're safe in Christ. He says, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. And he even quotes uh, a line from Psalm 44, which is a psalm about Israel crying for help in the face of death uh, in order to like, say that the Roman church might be fearing death. Why does Paul relate our fear of security and our fear of abandonment to these various forms of Christian suffering? He does this because we often try to short-circuit our desire to be safe through finding comfort and safety and security in the eyes of the world, by being friends with the world, as Jesus says. All of these things that Paul mentions are things that are somewhat avoidable, are somewhat delayable at least, for people who make themselves comfortable and friends with the world. If you look at example like uh, Judas or Pilate, they were able to maintain their comfort and avoid suffering through making deals with the world. And we can do that for some time. But Paul is drawing us back to the reality that that cannot provide the safety that we really long for. That cannot provide the safety that our heart desires. And I think, again, at this point in time, in our current cultural moment, there's a lot of us fearing safety. And it's exposing to us that the conditions in which we once fooled ourselves we were safe in, when the economy was going well, when you know, we could send our kids off to school, when it seemed like nothing wrong could happen to us, we've been assaulted, really, through God allowing this virus to disrupt all of the things that we were normally finding our security in. We don't know what our 401ks will look like. We don't know if we're going to be able to play sports this year. We don't know if our friendships will continue to flourish over 
online relationships. We don't know what's going to happen to our church or what's going to happen to our world. And yet, you're safe. You're safe. You're safe not because the conditions guarantee your safety. You're safe because God's faithfulness transcends the conditions. This is what Paul is saying to the Roman church, and he's saying to us as well. Know in all these things, the love of Christ, know in all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors, that the love of Christ is that which can conquer circumstances. And even when things are going rough, even when things are hard, even when the world is assaulting you, you are able to be more than a conqueror. That Greek word, conquerors, is actually combined more than conquerors. That's just one word. And it really means super conquerors or hyper conquerors. You could, you could even translate it superheroes. Uh, and it's actually the, the word that Jesus uses as he's addressing the disciples right before he goes to his death in the upper room at the end of uh, the book of John. In John 16, Jesus tells the disciples, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. For the Father is with me, and I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That word overcome is the same Greek word used here for conquered. And the reality is, like, it doesn't surprise me that Jesus conquered the world. He created the world. It's very logical to see that Jesus could conquer the world if he created the world. But it's the way that Jesus conquered the world that's so intriguing to me. And it's really the heart of the gospel. Jesus conquered the world not through a great, a great act of triumph. He did it through his humiliation. Through taking a vulnerable body. Through submitting himself to all these conditions that Paul lists in verse 35 through 37. Even drawing the allusion to uh, this psalm right here at the end of the psalm where it says, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Isaiah 53 tells us about Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. The God of the universe conquered the world not through a great act of power and resilience, but through taking on the humiliation and vulnerability of even death. Why is this significant to us? Why does this give us hope? Why does this good news enable us to have our fears cast out in the midst of tumultuous conditions? It's because Jesus, our Savior, can sympathize with us in the midst of our worldly suffering. We don't have a God who says, you'll get through it. Just wait. We have a God who says, you'll get through it. I've been through it. I know what you're going through. I know things are hard. I know you don't feel safe. I know you don't feel like you'll be able, that, that you belong. Yet in my humiliation, in my subsequent exaltation, my resurrection, Jesus is saying to us, I have secured for you a victory much greater than the trial that you're currently going through. If you just jump back to verse 18 in Romans 8, if you have your Bibles Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. 
that these sufferings, while they're real, while they're hard, while they conjure up all sorts of fears and insecurities in us, they are not worth comparing to the glory that Christ has secured for us in his resurrection. As Paul says at the end of Romans 8, Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ we are safe, not because we have protected ourselves. In Christ we're safe because we have a Savior who didn't protect himself. From the wrath of God, from the judgment we deserved, he took it on all himself. And in his victory and his resurrection, he secured for us that that wrath, that punishment, the thing we should be most afraid of will never come down on us. We're safe. As I end, I want to just apply this uh, as we seek to go out from this church into our neighborhoods and into our lives. What does this mean? Does this mean that the freedom in Christ, that we belong and we're safe, just allows us to go out and do whatever we want, to act brazenly and fearlessly, and, you know, nothing can happen to me. We can go out and run into the interstates or whatever. You know, we're safe. We're secure. I don't think it means that. First uh, John four nineteen, which is the verse following, uh, the first verse I read to start off this sermon, says that we love because he first loved us. The love of Christ that gives us belonging and safety frees us up not to just do whatever we want. It actually frees us up to flourish. And what flourishing looks like is living a life of radical love for those who are not you. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was the ultimate example of a flourishing human life. And he lived in a way that was for his neighbor in conditions that were unimaginable. When all trials and tribulations faced him, he continued to give himself for the other. And I think as we contemplate that first question I asked, what are your fears going into the, or what what words would you describe going into the fall? And I said, many of us, it's probably fear. I know it is for me. I want to just remind us as the church that we're not the only ones that would answer that way. That we have neighbors, we have coworkers, we have friends, we have family that are fearing that same thing. They're fearing all the uncertainty. They're fearing the future. They're fearing even what will happen to them tomorrow. And many of them do not have God's word that reminds them that there is a perfect love that casts out fear. And it's our privilege as believers that we get to be the ambassadors of this great love of Christ to go to our friends, to go to our neighbors, to go anywhere and everywhere and give them the gospel. That there is a way to flourish in the midst of fearful times. And that it's not that our conditions will change, but it's that there's a contentment in the midst of these changing conditions that is unimaginable. And it's resting and belonging and being safe in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, it's such an honor to be with your church in Sherwood, Arkansas today, with these faithful believers of Trinity Fellowship, 
love you. And I know their love through the way they love me and my family and our ministry. And Lord, uh, I ask that you would, by your mercy, continue to give them the balm of the gospel on their fearful souls. I ask that thing for me as well, that we need to know and be reminded that the reason we gather here on Sunday is not just to learn more. (laughs) It is that. It's not less than that. But it's also to enjoy you more in the midst of really hard times. Lord, cast out fear from us by your mercy. Give us assurance and confidence in Christ. And do it in such a way that propels us to go out and to love those who are also afraid. We ask this by your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen.